0: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Missanelli podcast. It is uh, now Monday, uh, October. What's the date today, Darren? October, it doesn't matter. but what 23rd, what the date? Mike. October, 23rd. 23rd of October, and we're riding high here in Philadelphia. Let's start out with the team that we're riding high with, the Philadelphia Eagles, who demolished the uh, Miami Dolphins last night at Lincoln Financial Field, uh, and either – one of two things is true or maybe they're both true. Uh, The Eagles are a pretty damn good team uh, and they dismantled a really good offensive team with their great defense. They held them basically to 10 points, a team that had been averaging numbers like way out of line, first in every category and uh, points per game and yards per game and yards per ca- catch and Tyreek Hill with 135 yards per game and 19.4 yards per catch and all that stuff and Tua and they completely took him apart in that game last night. We'll get into the specifics of that game as well. The Mike Misnelli podcast, to you, brought to you by Bet Rivers. And uh, I did not play. I was afraid of the game. I was afraid to play it. And so I did not play it. So for the first part, uh, I'm going to wear uh, the Eagles hat, and I'm going to represent um, either the Dolphins are a fraud or the Eagles are that good. Now, when you look at the Dolphins and you look at the big scores they put up, I guess you can make a case that they put those scores up against mediocre teams. And the one good team they played, they got waxed with the Bills. So maybe the, the, the Miami Dolphins are a fraud, but maybe the Eagles are, are just that good. Now, there, there are a lot of concerns for the Eagles at this point. They keep turning the ball over. Jalen Hurts keeps turning the ball over. He also looked pretty slow yesterday, and we're trying to figure out, wow, is he just regressing, at, at, or is he being more careful as a runner? Whatever it is, as it turns out, he's got a banged-up knee, and a lot of people saw him at the Novacare Center last week kind of walking really slow and maybe limping around. In the third quarter, it was revealed, it reported that he had put a brace on his knee. Now, it wasn't a big brace. You could hardly see it. It was probably more of a sleeve that he put in there. But that's got to be a concern going forward with Jalen Hurts and their attack. But if you look at the game last night, there were a couple of monumental drives that put the game away for the Philadelphia Eagles. One was in the third quarter, uh, and one uh, was in the fourth quarter. The uh, first one was they, where they converted um, uh, a pass to AJ at the end of the third quarter, which was a monster play. And then uh, in the fourth quarter, of course, they got the big drive as an answer. That drive went 83 yards with 13 plays. So the one that put them up 24 to 17 was a 75-yard drive and there's a big pass to Devontae, 25-yarder, a third and seven conversion to Goddard. To the 14-yard line, uh, and then the slant to AJ Brown, who broke loose for the TD. So that was monstrous as they went up 24 to 17. And then um, Miami, again, uh, this is a team to me that wasn't ready for the moment. And one of the indication is they had nine penalties in the game. And uh, their first play of the game, they get a delay of game. I, I mean, that should never happen. They get a false, a bunch of false starts. They had ten penalties. Is that what it was? Ten penalties. Uh, all right, and, and on the play that uh, Darius Slay makes, first of all, I don't think Darius Slay played a great game, but he did make up for it when he came over from the other side and read the play and made that interception at the one-yard line where Tua threw off his back foot on a third and eight, and he returned it to the 17. Now, that's not good field position, but the Eagles took, took that opportunity to eat up the clock with the running game. They got the bomb to A.J. Brown where Jalen got hit. The guy was right in his face. That uh, was a great catch that got him to the 8. And then uh, uh, Kenny Gainwell to the 3, and then he spun for the touchdown and made it 31-17, which really kind of put the game uh, out of reach. Um, uh, I I was looking at this game early, and uh, the first drive of the game, Darren, I'll bring you in here. They had uh, uh, a third and goal at the 9, and the Blues start coming in because the play calling was really suspect. They ran the ball three straight times there, and the third and nine play was a, a Hurts keeper. I, I don't understand why they wouldn't throw the ball in that situation, but that led to a field goal. I'm thinking, well, you know, that's not enough. They got down there. They got to start scoring with this team, um, uh, and and they, they didn't, and they got the 3 nothing lead. So I, I was a little worried about that. Now, um, uh, so your comments on that, first of all.
1: Well, that's been the, the, the number one criticism of the team, the red zone, the play calling. I don't think that was a called quarterback draw. To me, the way that looked was that the every his, maybe, his pre-snap reads weren't there, and he thought my best opportunity here is to just pull it down and see if I can't get in the end zone myself. That, aside from that first drive or that first red zone play calling, I actually thought the offensive game plan and you and I talked about this what they needed to do to win and we even said it's cliche but like you got to run the ball pound the ball keep Miami's offense on the sideline they did that they had two or three drives of you know double digit plays you know 8 9 minutes long that's what you needed yesterday I thought the offensive game plan to run the ball between the tackles beat them up. The Eagles are the Eagles beat people up on both sides of the line of scrimmage and I thought they did that throughout the game. But as far as that first red zone, I thought, "Oh man, more of the same." But they continued and, and to run the ball between the tackles and ran it well last night. Not big yardage, but ran it well and ran it effectively and that helped keep helped control the clock for pretty much the entire game.
0: Yeah, now they're up 3 nothing, and uh, so already I'm feeling bad about they didn't score a touchdown there. And then Hurts gets sacked and fumbles. Bradley Chubb pokes the ball uh, out of his uh, his hands. He didn't take care of the ball again, and this is becoming problematic. Another turnover by Jalen Hurts. The Dolphins took over at the Eagles 23, and to me, that's where the game came down. The Eagles' defense buckled down. They got Tua uh, in, a, in a third and nine. Now, he did... Throw a touchdown pass on that drive. He throws the touchdown pass to Tyreek Hill, who I'm looking at going, nobody can cover this guy. They should target this guy 25 times today because nobody could cover him. But the, the touchdown gets called back. He had beaten Slay on that play. Uh, hold on the Dolphins. So, so now after they got, got to the 6 they they're now back at the 22, and, and they have to kick a field goal to tie it. Uh, and then the Eagles get a touchdown on the next drive. Boston Scott... With a pretty good return to the forty, sets him up. The tush push and a roughing the passer gets him to the twenty-one, and for the first time, maybe the second time all year, they get a successful tight end screen, which they don't run very well. This one was well designed, and the touchdown uh, screen pass to Goddard makes it ten to three um, for the Eagles. And then, uh, of course, fourth and three, they go for it. Uh, HUD, uh, Harts, with his most dynamic throw of the day when he's flushed out of the pocket, it is amazing that they can't get this guy in the pocket that he wriggles out all the time. He gets flushed out. He makes another scramble, throws the ball down the field to AJ Brown. Uh, and that gets to the one yard line and the push push is unstoppable. And the, and the Eagles go up, uh, 17 to three. Uh, and there were a couple of plays that were hairy in this whole situation because the dolphins, they look down and out at that point. It's a third and 18. And, and Tua launches one to Cedric Wilson for 29 yards and a first down. Uh, and then the third and eight is the bomb to Tyreek, beating Bradbury off the line of scrimmage to make it 17 to 10. So it, it's a game at that point, And that's key for the Dolphins to score because they go into halftime with that touchdown and they got the ball for the second half. And so the Eagles stopping them on that first drive, I thought was major. Because they had some momentum. They looked like they were poised to get back down the field again at 17-10. to 10, and, and the Eagles got them to punt uh, at that p- particular time.
1: So the, 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 the touchdown to Tyreek, I'll tell you what happened there. They were running what's called a press bracket. So, so Bradbury is there to press off the line and then to follow him. The safety in that position, I think it was Edmonds, Terrell Edmonds, which I don't know where he's from. Anyway, they just couldn't keep up with him. So for press bracket to work, you basically have to bracket the wideout. So when the wideout is as fast as Tyree Kill and he blows right past the bracket, you really can't do that. And the bracket is basically designed to cover on both sides of the ball. It's, it's, it's two on one. What they could have done there is what, another thing called press cloud. So he presses off the line of scrimmage. You have a seat. You have a linebacker come over and you have a safety up top. So you essentially have three. That's really the only way you can cover Tyree Kill on that play. Well, the Otherwise... thing about
0: Bradbury, and, you know, I'm obviously doing the um, post-game show with Seth Joyner yesterday, and, and Seth is all over de- defensive concepts, and, and he is livid when, A, they don't play press coverage, and, B, when they're playing press coverage, they're not the bangy guy. And, and Bradbury kind of let him get, ju- get himself get juked out of that play. it is really his hands on it interfere with it at all. And that's how, how he got loose. Now, I, I will say that that point,
1: Hill is very unique to cover, though. He's he requires like there are coverages and and ways to press him that only apply to him. So I give him a little bit of a break. Anyway, but go ahead. Okay.
0: He's just a different. Um, guy. Hertz is now, uh, it breaks. Uh, Jeff McClain, who covers the team, uh, has the story out there that uh, Hertz is now wearing a, a sleeve on his left knee. Not only that. But he tweets out something yesterday. He says, interestingly enough, when the Eagles kick off to the Dolphins to start the third quarter, after the play, Hertz runs on the field like the Eagles have the ball. <laughs> and so I, I don't know what that was about. Maybe he was, uh, you know, a little discombobulated or whatever. But that's when he has the sleeve on, uh, and maybe he was in severe pain that, that caused that to happen. But I will say. And this is why I always blanch when I read about uh, Eagle fans thinking that the referees are always out to get them. And and, and I always go, don't worry about the officials. Calls will even out. Now, the Eagles got the benefit of some calls yesterday. And that happened on the Dolphins' second drive in the uh, third quarter, where um, Hill well, first of all, Hill. Um, had a TD over the middle and clear uh, uh, skinny post or whatever that play was. And he was wide open and he was a, got a, a head of steam and full in full gallop. And he was a little too anxious and he didn't secure the ball. and The ball squirts out and, and rolls uh, through the end zone for an incomplete pass. So they dodged a bullet there. And then on fourth and three, the incompletion is Cedric Wilson on the left side. I don't know how any official didn't see that. But Cedric Wilson was grabbed by, uh, by Bradbury, it had his face mask yanked. And so they, they did not call that. And I always say, see, these calls are even out. All you know, oh, the, the, the referees are terrible against the Eagles, but you don't even take inventory. Like, Nobody even mentions that on Twitter. Oh my God, that was an obvious face mask that they didn't call. So, so they get the break on that. But Hurts uh, gives it right back. Uh, they should have had a touchdown that drive. They wind up getting a touchdown. Because he gets blitzed by Cater Coho, uh, who deflects the ball, and Jerome Baker snatches it and runs it in for a touchdown. That's his eighth interception of the year, more than he had all last year, and that ties the game at 17 17. So the Eagles, now, to me, the the counter drive was that next drive, which uh, got the score to 24 17. They scored with 15 seconds left in the third quarter. With the big third down play to Goddard, and of course the slant to AJ Brown for the uh, for the touchdown, the seventy five yard drive, and, and in that uh, drive was of course a big pass twenty five yards to Devonte uh, uh, Smith. Uh, so uh, then we we go into the fourth quarter, and you know Miami now down a touchdown. That's still it's still everybody's game, but uh, Matua, on a third and eight throws off his back foot. Doesn't get the ball there uh, quick enough and it allows Slay to come over for the pick. Uh, He introduced himself as big play Slay before the game on the introductions for the personnel. And uh, he had, I I gotta be honest with you, Darius, you haven't made enough big plays lately to be hyping yourself as big play Slay. Now, as it turns out, that's a big play. All right, I'll give it to you. It's a big play. But you're thinking a little bit too much of yourself these days. His... His ball-on-ball coverage has not been that great lately. Do you agree? I, I
1: said, going back to last year, I thought he was leaking oil. But, you know, look, defensive cornerbacks particularly are the wideouts of the defense in that they are the divas. They are. I don't mind a guy having confidence, but you're right. He hasn't made as many big
0: plays to warrant the nickname as you would like to, even going back to last season. He, he, ha- like, he has no perception of him making bad plays. You know, like last year, over the second half of the year, when he got elected to the Pro Bowl, and a lot of people, including me, questioned whether he was worthy of that. He seemed oblivious to the fact that he didn't have a great second half of the year. All right, let's look at some numbers here because this tells the tale. The Dolphins came into this game averaging 37.2 points per game. That was first in the league. They came in averaging 316.8 yards per game. That was first in the league. 13.7 yards per completion was first in the league. Tyreek Hill, 135.7 yards per game. That was first in the league. And 19.4 yards per catch. That was first in the league. Tua with 14 TDs was first in the league. And his rating of 114.1 was first in the league. So let's look at the numbers after this game. Tua was limited to 216 yards passing. He got sacked three times. Um, Raheem Mostert, who last week had 6.1 yards per carry and seemed to be in a really good groove, was held to 45 yards on nine carries. They couldn't get the running game going, which was really indicative of how incomplete their offense was. When they got the running game going with Tua, they're a pretty potent offense. But since they couldn't run the ball against the Eagles, and let's face it. Nobody can run the ball against the Eagles. And they kept trying to run it between the tackles against the Eagles. No team has been able to run the football in that area. Uh, and I don't understand for, for as brilliant as that head coach is supposed to be, but the Miami Dolphins, I don't understand the offensive game plan of, of not trying to get outside. Now, part of, of not getting outside is uh, Hassan Redick has been playing like a monster lately. So uh, I get why they might have been reluctant, but you know, the way they play the middle of the field, it's it's unreasonable to think that you're going to gash the Eagles by running between the tackles. Uh, Tyreek Hill. I'm looking at him going, oh, my God, there's nobody can cover this guy. He's going to have an all-world day. He wounds up catching 11 balls, 15 targets. I would have given him 25. I would have run him into the ground. That's all they had. Jalen Waddle was hurt and hurting on the other side. They don't really have a tight end of any significance. They don't have a running back really catches the ball out of the backfield. Tyreek Hill, 11 for 88 yards. This is a guy who was averaging 19.4 yards per catch. You want to do some math for me there, Darren? 11 into 88. What do you got? Eight, Mike. Not even eight. It's, Not like it's, seven, it's seven and change. <laughs> Uh, with, with the math, so th- there, that tells the tale. You hold the Tua to that number, you hold yeah. Hill to that number, the defense comes up huge again, and the Eagles win very easily and establish themselves that, A, they're a really good team still that uh, lost to the Jets notwithstanding, and, B, the Dolphins may be a fraud. I mean, let's put it out there. They had a big spot uh, to really come into Philly last night. But they, they weren't Miami anymore. They were in a big pressure environment. They were in a little snippy weather, 40 degrees with some wind, Allen. And they seemed to be a fish out of water, no pun intended. I'll say this about the Eagles defense last night. And you and I spoke
1: about this when we previewed this game. Miami does a lot. San Francisco's the other team that does it. They do a lot of pre-snap motion. And all that's really designed to do is to get everybody cross-eyed. Okay, that the Miami Dolphins, like the 49ers, none of that bullshit means anything. If you can't run the ball and they the Eagles didn't let the pre-snap motion bother them. They lined up, they smacked them in the mouth and they stopped them from running the ball. And that completely brought the cards down in the house of cards, which is the Miami offense. I thought it was a great game plan. They stayed at home. And Hassan Ruddick was just ridiculous. Sweat put maybe played his best game of his career last night. The edge rushers were awesome. Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter were phenomenal. Jalen Carter, if he's not defensive rookie of the year, holy God, I don't know who is. Yeah, I,
0: and I give the defensive staff a, a really a lot of credit because you know, they made Eli Ricks a good, a, an interesting player last night as well. He played very well. Uh, they're so, uh, discombobulated back there, but they're so- somehow putting it together like a jigsaw puzzle to make it work with some younger inexperienced guys. And I, I thought that was going to be the ultimate mismatch in this game, but, uh, the Eagles really held down the fort. Their defense is really good. And, and Sean Desai deserves a, a lot of credit now, uh, on the other side, uh, they did enough to win. There are some questionable calls in the red zone. I, I don't understand that first series, uh, whatsoever. Uh, but they're they're ro- uh, they're rolling right now and so let's let's look ahead here folks because the commanders are next week uh, the last one o'clock game of the year by the way uh and that's a you know that's that's a feather in their cap because now the are so us. good that they don't want to waste them at one o'clock they they want to carry him over to the afternoon and the primetime games which are uh, decidedly more important in scope so I guess that's a good thing. Now, last night, I did a post-game show that I didn't get off the air until 2 o'clock in the morning with that 825 game. So I'm a little bleary-eyed this morning, but it's all good because the Eagles win. So let's look at the commanders. Uh, they're so uh, – they're, they're, they're dazed and confused. They're, they're getting ripped by their own player. Uh, uh, so, I, listen, I know they played them well in the first game. I think that was an aberration. Uh, I think that the commanders are coming back down to earth. I don't think that will be a problem even though the game is in Washington. Uh and then of course, uh, you got uh, you got the big schedule coming your way that there's a bye also thrown in there, but uh uh how do you feel about uh, going forward now with all these games?
1: I well look, uh not a whole lot has changed. We both thought they'd be 6 and 1 at this point. Uh when we started the season, though we thought the uh and really the jet loss was the only one we had, but for different reasons. Um, I, think they'll be, I think they will be fine, win the next two, uh, go into the bye at 8-1. and one. And uh, I feel good about the Chiefs game makes me nervous. The, the Niner game will be tough, though. I think they will win that game. There's a couple games in there that uh, in that gauntlet that they run here. Uh, by the way, the gauntlet doesn't end uh, with the, the second Dallas game. It's not after run in that gauntlet, then having yeah, to go you have out. to, go have to Seattle, Seattle. Seattle. That's not easy. No yeah, you have to go to Seattle,
0: play, so, which means you're flying back home and then you're flying back out to Seattle. Exactly. So you like them to win next week to go 7-1, and, and then you like, to, like them to beat Dallas in that I game I do like them to beat Dallas.
1: Yeah, going into the bye. Uh, okay. I think they're 8-1 and one going into the bye.
0: All right, 8-1 going, right, going into the bye. They come out of it at the Chiefs. And then the Buffalo Bills at home, I don't know what the Bills are, to be honest with you. At one point I was scared of that game, but they're, they're so all over the place that I can't tell if that's going to be a yeah. tough game or not. And then the 49ers, uh, and by then they'll be healed up a little bit. Brock Purdy uh, missing a couple of his guys kind of put a spotlight on his lack of abilities. But the 49ers get them uh, in several weeks down the row where they may be a more formidable foe. And then at Dallas and at Seattle, you're right, Right there is a really tough schedule for them to negotiate. After the bye week, five really tough games. Yeah, and
1: I could see them losing two, and that's okay. If they finish this season, how many games are they playing now? 26? (laughs) 17 games? 14 and three. If that's their final record, that's good enough to win home field as long as one of those 14 wins is against the 49ers, which I think it will be.
0: Uh, okay so uh, a- any uh, other highlights last night I thought it was really interesting that there were two major league stars that were in the house last night uh, one of them was Mike Trout and the other was Liam Castellanos not Nick uh, Liam gets shown on this big screen and he's he gets the monster ovation uh, I I'd never imagined a world where Liam uh, Castellanos would be bigger than Mike Trout uh, in scope but When you think about it, he's more connected to the Phillies than Mike Trout is. Mike Trout's kind of a guy who visits every now and then and has no connection to this Philadelphia area, right?
1: I can't take credit for this. I did see someone write this on Twitter that said the son of the seven-hole hitter for the Phillies is getting a standing ovation in front of Mike Trout and Lincoln Financial Field, which is really... That's wow. Like, what if you're Trout? You're sitting there, oh, God. What, what are you thinking right there?
0: Uh, he doesn't care. He, you know he, what I mean? Mike Trout is a, a – I think he does. No, he, he doesn't care because he doesn't care about the adulation. He almost almost wants to be anonymous as a star in this league. It's always bothered me about him that, that he, like, wants to be this kid from Millville his entire life when he's a, a bona fide major league star who really could have helped promote the sport and promote himself because they're they're yearning. They were yearning for stars to take over, just like the NBA. When they market their stars, Major League Baseball would like to do the same thing. You know, le- the, the last 10 years, he was that guy, and he wanted no part of it. So he just wants to go to the Eagles game and blend in with his boys from Millville. He's just a hometown guy. That's what, the way it works. He's a Millville guy. He's not even a hometown guy. He's a Millville guy. Millville, New, New Jersey. The country.
1: I think you. I think, or for the Phillies. I think you. If it were any other team, I would agree. But he still wants to be here, dude. Like he built a golf course here. He bought three hundred. Building a golf course oh. in
0: Millville.
1: I know. Like it's he's not for Philly. Like he's not going anywhere. Once he retires, he's not staying out in California.
0: I'll he's bet you he is. I don't think he's coming back to yeah. Millville. He's it's
1: gonna build a golf did. course. That doesn't
0: mean he has to take the money.
1: The first thing he did, first thing he did when he bought, when he got his biggest contract was he bought three hundred acres
0: and then he well, went Good to for him. That doesn't mean he's boat. gonna he's gonna he's gonna live in in the in the caddy hut. Cried out loud. I think he's
1: sticking around. I think he's gonna be a Millville Little League coach oh, when he
0: retires. There's no way he's coming <laughs> back to this area. There's no way. Uh, all right, so what else happened? Well, of course, the Kelly Green uniforms were unveiled last night. They look good. I don't know how I feel about these uniforms because they were the uniforms of my youth following the Eagles, but they were also Might as well. uh, a bad uniform because they, yeah. they were terrible for so many years until Vermeer had that one flash, and then they got bad again, and then they got reflashed with Buddy. And last night, we ran a great picture from the past uh, of uh, five guys in Kelly Green uniforms. I'm doing the show, obviously, with Seth Joyner. Five Eagles made the Pro Bowl that year, and they posed for a picture. I guess it was in Sports Illustrated or it was somewhere. But there they are, five Pro Bowl Eagles and Kelly Green, Clyde Simmons, Eric Allen, Jerome Brown, Seth Joyner, and number 92, Reggie White. A, a, a classic picture that we ran on the post-game show last night on, on Jacob Media. And the picture was startling to me because Seth Joyner has a big, fat smile on his face. And I go, "Well, that's not the Seth I know. That, wait, wait, wait. That's an unrealistic picture. He's smiling. <laughs> go, and he had, he had the box haircut going on, I think. He did I, have the I box remember. haircut. And he wanted to make it clear that he could still have that haircut, that he oh, can yeah. grow hair, that he's not, he doesn't shave his head he's because he doesn't truth. have hair. He oh, shaves okay. his head because he says it's easy to do it that way. But frankly, it makes him look more menacing. Right? I ain't scary looking no matter what's on us. He could have a pink
1: mop on his head. He'd be terrifying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else? Any other tidbits? Any other things that stick out to you? Uh, that, uh, anything in the broadcast? Uh, no, I, I will say this. It seemed like every time
1: the dolphins were punting, I mean, the first half they they had minus seven yards rushing. It seemed like every time the dolphins were punting, they were punting from a fourth and 15 or fourth and 17, fourth and 18. They weren't punting with less than 10 yards to get the first down. And that's just a testament to the Eagles defense.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I'll have something to say about the brook. I think Tariqo and uh, Collinsworth are good together. Um I don't mind a lot of people hate Collinsworth I don't mind him. Uh now I, I don't know I, I, you know I think he's very pro Philadelphia by the way. God bless his his kid who is also part of the broadcast, Zach Collinsworth, who has the the pregame uh situation with Rodney Harrison and the guy I do not understand is why is still a, a, an analyst because he's the most boring guy I've ever seen ever on TV with all due respect to his uh his integrity as a man and his coaching success. But Tony Dungy, I mean, my God, come on now. Uh, (laughs) Doesn't give you a whole lot. No. And and, and one of the pictures that was taken last night was uh, uh, Julio Jones posing with uh, Ocho Cinco, uh, A.J. Brown, and um, Deshaun Jackson. Devontae Smith and Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson with Devontae Smith. How about that? Another classic five picture.
1: Yeah, Ocho Cinco hanging on to anything and anyone that'll let, that'll have
0: him. <laughs> well, you Amazing. know what? he's a pretty good wide receiver if you look at his numbers. He was,
1: but you know he, he he does this whole thing with Philadelphia like he's like a pseudo Eagle or a pseudo Philly fan sometimes on his social media. I just don't get it. Like, I, there's never been a connection between him and the city of Philly. Oh, I just don't get it. Man. Know, listen,
0: uh, whatever. Eight. Uh, Ocho Cinco doesn't bother me. I, and He bothered me more as a player. He, he certainly doesn't bother me now. Um, all right, so there you are, Eagles. They, they go to six and one. That was a challenge that we all looked at and said, "Oh, well, maybe that's a loss with that high-powered." Uh, offense but uh, it certainly wasn't the Eagles defense handled them uh, and really uh, they're getting a claim now nationally again and I lost to the Jets oh maybe the Eagles were a fraud and it came right back with kind of a, a banged up quarterback uh, enough offense to win a game because he made some great uh, 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 plays to improvise and the tush push is just has has turned into something that's a monster I mean, it's just uh, it, I laugh when they get into that formation, I laugh. I go, "Why even bother? Like, it, 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 you're never going to stop it. You, you, you're incapable of stopping it." And they do it so well, based on the churning legs of Jalen Hurts. You know, don't don't discount that that he's getting pushed from behind. He is, but that dude is strong enough to plow through that. Uh, it, it's almost like he's he has that he's doing that training exercise where he's either got the parachute tied to him or he's got somebody with the bungee cord that's tying in, and he's churning through it. Uh, He's strong, man. All right, let's talk some Philly baseball here. Um, I'm a little offended by the people who have not respected my read of this series. Because uh, a lot of people like to pile on. Listen, here's the bottom line. Uh, It's a shame that I'm not on the radio these days to give you the baseball analysis that I've been giving people on Twitter with this series. All right, Uh, I know the game inside out, and I look at the Diamondbacks, and I've always looked at them as a fraud. They don't belong in this series. They're an 84-win team. They don't hit at all. This series should have been five maximum, but instead they're going to have to win tonight to clinch this thing and finally get the Diamondbacks out of my hair. That team is painful for me to watch because they don't hit. And so the two losses, I don't know how it happened, uh, but it was more, to me, luck than what the Diamondbacks did. I'm watching this game, and I'm going, look at Christian Walker has been killing them in that four hole. He has done nothing. With all due respect to his family, it's a local family, he is destroying that team with no input at all in the middle of that order. Uh, Corbin Carroll has been a complete myth when he gets on base, he's terrified to try to steal a base. I'm going, this is the only chance you have. What do you what what, what do you think you are if you're not going to try to steal a base? So what if you get thrown out? That kid is playing scared. Uh, Christian Walker is getting beat by fastballs. Marte's a, a, a good player. He's the only one they can really rely on, except for that young kid, Alec Thomas, who's hit a couple bombs. They're an easy team to beat. And their two starting pitchers can't beat the Phillies. Zach Gallon again, like a replica. Bang, Schwarber, and bang, Harper in the same inning. It was like a replay of game one. And so now Merle Kelly has to come into this building tonight and try to put this get this series into seven games. It's not going to happen, okay? It shouldn't happen. If the Phillies lose, I will be shocked. I don't know how they can lose with Nola pitching tonight against Merle Kelly in this stadium. Uh, with the Phillies just being so much better than the Diamondbacks, your thoughts there? Cringe every time you say there's no way to. It-. Listen, let's get, let's get to the crux. Let's get to the crux of the I matter. I get okay? it. It's this is this it's face, phony, this phony fear. That I wanted to address this. There's, there's yeah. this phony fear about not taking your opponent lightly, and yet, if you have two eyes, you can see one team completely overmatches the other. And the only way the I, other team totally can win agree. is some kind of a, a, a godly act of, 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 of mistakes. It, it's ridiculous to, to look at that Diamondbacks team to think that they should be on the same field right now with the Phillies. I completely agree with you. And I still
1: say it's baseball. It's a quirky sport. Anything can happen. You've seen it. But, yes, I think they put him away tonight. I think Noah hopefully continues to pitch well. I think they put him away. I don't think Kelly's going to have enough for him tonight. I'd like to see Noah give him six. I don't want to see him have to go to their bullpen before the seventh inning.
0: Well, they may have to. But, you know, you got some guys that are rested. Uh, and then uh, he was able to use Hoffman that. later in the game instead of trying yeah, you to get can't go to the- Kimbrell late. not tonight. No, I, to he, he'll probably stay away from Kimbrell at this point. Now, yeah. he's he's got a little more trusted Dominguez, although he still scares me. But he's got, as you know, he, he got Hoffman, he's got the trust in Hoffman. He brought him in in the proper situation uh, in the last game uh, and and, does not, and did not burn him in the fifth inning. And that's what he's got to do. He's got to realize that his only reliable guys right now are Alvarado, Hoffman, and, uh, and, and he can take a chance with Dominguez. But he, he has to go away from Kirkering at this point. So Nola's got to get him through six. And at that point, uh, you know, he may, have to, he may have to use Strom, but he's definitely going to yeah. use Hoffman and Alvarado uh, in, yeah. in the late stages of the game. Um, and, and probably totally Alvarado has to finish it tonight. Yeah. And they, 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 yep. they can't go away from Kimber. But I think there could be a good enough lead where it's not going to matter. I, I think the Diamondbacks realize that they're in over their heads at this point. What do they have to give in Philly in this game when they have played scared? In their home ballpark, they ha- they haven't yeah. had any swagger in their home ballpark. They, their they have,
1: only chance is a lights out performance by Kelly, and I don't see that.
0: Yeah, they have scored ten runs in five games. All right, or is it eleven runs? It's eleven runs, and six of them came in one game. They just don't hit. They're not a hitting team. They're they're a couple years away from being at that level where they can say, "Okay, we can contend." For a world series so what happens in this game if we look back to game five and how they busted it open um they, they score in the first and shorber gets a squib hit uh and then uh and bryson stott who fought my money has been i mean i love to watch that kid play second base he is really a secure fielder and gives them a blanket of security with any ball that's hit that way but he also got that big hit to drive in Schwarber in the first inning. And here's where the play comes in. this is where I like to do a little baseball analysis. So Harper's on third base and Stott's on first base. And, and they run the play where Stott wants to get in a rundown so uh Harper can score. But Harper's mindset is I'm not going to wait for the rundown. So I'm looking at this play and I'm going, okay, the Diamondbacks, if they were really well managed, they would, they would, uh, they would figure this out. They know he's an aggressive base runner. Now, there are a couple things you can do here. Uh, one is you can fake a throw and hope you catch Harper off, off, off the base. Number two is you can you can throw it down and have a cutoff. Instead of Marte holding the bag, Marte has to be able to see, it has the vision to see that Harper's going to go. Because what you're taught as a base runner, as soon as the catcher releases the ball and it gets past the pitcher's head, that is when you trigger and, and go home, because at that point, it's going to take a great play to get you. So with Marte knowing that, Marte then has to come off the bag and get and shorten the throw and then make a strong throw to get Harper. As it turned out, if he makes a strong throw anyway, standing on the bag, he probably gets Harper, but he, he panic-throwed it. He, he he panicked, he threw the ball into the ground on a, a straight line throw, has Harper, and, and he panic throws it. And and that's an indication of a team that, to me, when they have to make a play, they don't make the play. So the Phillies are up 2-0 in the game. And at that point, uh, Wheeler's just mowing them down. And then finally, it looks like he's getting a little tired uh, as we go now to the sixth inning, top of the sixth. The Phillies... Uh, get a home run from Schwarber. So now it's three, nothing. And then they get one from Harper. So now it's four, nothing. And Zach Gallen is bewildered. At, at that point, I'm going, there's not going to be a rest of the game. But to the Diamondbacks' credit, they scratch out uh, a run with a home run by Alec Thomas to make it four to one. Uh, and then the, the wheels start uh, turning. The, the bullpen comes in. Mantiply, who started game four for them, Comes in and uh, there's uh, Harper safe on an error by Marte, but Bohm lines out and, and stri- stri- strikes out. They bring in Frias uh, to face uh, Real Muto, which is probably the move. Uh, and Real Muto hits the two run jack, the first uh, two run homer, the first home run that wasn't a solo shot in the whole series. And now it, it is six to one. And at that point, you, you can use Hoffman to come in. He gets the eighth, and then you get Dominguez in a less stressful situation. Uh, and he comes in in the bottom of the ninth. And, and Strom finishes it off by getting Carroll to strike out. So there, there's your ball game right there. Six to one. I think that is the death now for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And uh, I don't expect that they will be competitive tonight. I know damn, anything can happen in baseball. Anything can happen in baseball. Let me tell you something. Merrill Kelly comes in here and beats the Phillies in this deciding game at Citizens Bank Ballpark. Uh, I don't know what I'll do, but uh, uh, I would be totally surprised and shocked.
1: As would I. I'm not saying I expect that. I'm just saying yeah. when you say no shot, I cringe. Because that's, you know, well, that's a couple
0: see, times I, you've done that First so of all, far. I, I got to tell people, I, you know, when when you guys tweet me and you go, don't you, jinx him. Well, right. You
1: put me in with you, put in you guys. You put it with me. You're, in you're
0: just plain scared. You're just one of those guys that gets scared. I don't get scared. You got it. I don't, do I don't shit, get scared when there's a better scared. team. It's so much better than the other. I don't. I don't get scared. But people that when I say stuff like this and when I point out why it's going to happen, and I've been right a lot more than I've been wrong, people go, "Don't jinx them, Mike." And I going to just warn people here: if you give me that jinx thing, you're blocked automatically. I am so tired of, of reading people. Well, oh, don't jinx them, Mike. It's your fault that the, the, the Diamondbacks scored a couple rounds. As soon as you do that, you're out. I don't have any time for you in my life anymore. So stop it with the jinx. There's no such thing as a jinx. Okay. There, that's all I have to say about that. Now, let's move into uh, Mike Unleashed for today. I got a lot of things to say, Mike. You weren't you were just
1: Unleashed. Now we're unleashed, you're unleashing you more now. Go yes,
0: ahead. I was semi-unleashed <laughs> in that uh, segment. But let's really get me unleashed here because it's a baseball issue. And uh, um, there, there are a lot of ex-players out there that are commentators. And sometimes I think ex-players have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, and and let me let me go to the Texas Rangers and the Houston and Astros game, where uh uh a Garcia hits a home run, and pimps beyond belief. I've never seen more of a pimp than this dude, and this isn't an era of pimping. Like this guy exceeded the pimp li- uh, limit. <laughs> With he actually after he hit that home run, he stood and watched it. completely. Like, he didn't get out of the batter's box until that ball was out. And then he he throws the bat. Okay. Now I can tell you that that shouldn't bother players in this day and age. It's a different generation that's coming up and that's all part of the gig. But I can tell you that it doesn't make the other team happy. And so when you have a guy, a young pitcher like Brian Abreu, he's looking at that situation. He's young. He doesn't know any better. The only thing he knows is that, uh, oh, my God, my teammates are upset, and, and I, I got to be the one that, that really meets out the the, the punishment here because that will bond me with my teammates. Now, some pitchers who are veterans go, eh, you know what, this is a sign of the times. That guy's a young a pitcher. He's got a lot of older veterans on that team. He's got Dusty Baker, an old-school manager. So uh, he's thinking in his head, well, I got to stand up for my guy. I'm listening to baseball pundits go, well, there's no way in that situation. Would he risk hitting a guy to put another guy on base? Now, that's the the overthought baseball way of looking at it. If you look at it like a human being, you go, the kid doesn't know any better. He's young. The only thing he knows is his teammates are bitching and moaning in the the locker room and in the bullpen that this guy embarrassed us. So that guy, you actually think that that pitch was not intentional. Of course it was intentional. He drilled him right where he should have drilled them. Now it's foolish to do it in that t- situation. You, you, you What did he do with that is you follow it away and you can't do it in a national an American league championship series, but the kid doesn't know any better. And all these baseball people go, Oh, you think a break you would actually risk. Yes, he would. Cause he's a young, stupid kid. That's why he would do it. If you looked at that play, how in the world do you think that he wasn't th- th- hitting him on purpose? It was so blatantly obvious. Of course he was hitting him on purpose. Did you did you read the same way I read it? I was thinking exactly
1: what you were thinking. Uh, it's exactly what he was thinking. He's a young kid at that point. He doesn't have – he's not going through – he's not thinking clearly. He's not thinking down the road at that point. He's thinking in the moment. The youth – thinks in the moment youth lives in the moment he lived in the okay
0: moment. so now there's two ways you can deal with this one is you can ignore it which which the umpires maybe should have done uh but once you, you kick up a fuss and you meet and uh all the consensus is yeah he threw him at him on purpose then you got to act right so they act and it turns into a suspension for a now garcia interestingly enough if he just goes to first base nothing happens. <laughs> so effectively he caused the suspension of Abreu by making the fuss over it and he did not get suspended. So that's the weird thing about the you know baseball and the whole thing. Now Abreu is appeal, he appeals. I don't know what the decision has come down whether he's going to probably reduce it to one game, which means he'll miss tonight's game uh which is game 7. So uh it it, it hurts certainly the Astros and uh, so the Phillies opponent world series might be the Rangers after all and not, uh, the Houston Astros. All right. So that's that. And the guy I'm, I'm, I'm listening to, uh, dude, I listen to major league baseball, uh, radio a lot on serious. And the guy who I really got, uh, uh, an, a nerve by was the Ryan Spilborgs who, who they call Spilly. And, and I remember the thing I remember at Ryan Spilborgs when he first came up with the Colorado Rockies, I was at that, at the game. And, uh, his big face comes out on the screen and he was the most peculiar looking guy. I go, look at that guy. You know, its like a bad baseball card. And, and he was on the screen. <laughs> now he's on major league baseball radio. Uh, okay. Number two on Mike unleashed. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to tell you that I am embarrassed about Penn state football. Uh, I believed in them this year that they had a chance. I actually thought they were going to beat Ohio state, which I didn't think was a great Ohio state team. And then down the road, lose to Michigan instead. They got waffled by Ohio state. They weren't even on the same field with Ohio state. They couldn't convert a third down against Ohio state. In fact, if it weren't for the last one where they scored the meaningless touchdown, they would have been Oh, for 15 as it was, they were one for 16 on third down. Now, that's a team that's not in the same ballpark as the other team. And for all the Penn State fans that want to shrug this off, this is what I've been explaining about for a lot of years. You're happy with mediocrity. And mediocrity is a finishing 9-2 uh, and two and going to some lower bowl. Even if you go to the Rose Bowl, it's not the Final Four, where Ohio State's going to the Final Four and Michigan's going to the Final Four. And these Penn State fans who are so soft that they just take it now, oh, it's fine. They lose two games every year. We still go to a bowl. We're proud of our program. I'm not proud of it. I got to be honest with you. After all these years of not contending for a national championship, I'm sick of it. And there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it unless you out-recruit Ohio State, which brings me to James Franklin. Uh, James Franklin has a terrible record against Ohio State. He has a terrible record against nationally ranked teams. He doesn't seem to have the... the the acumen, to be able to coach Penn State past these bigger opponents. But guess what? He's not going anywhere because he's got eight more years left on his contract. So for the people that go, well, I like James Franklin. He's a representative coach and a representative every year. Aren't you people sick of not being a national championship contender? Because I am. And I'm a tried and true Penn Stater, and I'm sick by the fact that they can't contend. This was a year where they were supposedly going to be able to contend for that spot. And look what you saw on Saturday. Not even a competitive game that Penn State loses to Ohio State. And so for me, the season's over. You know, people go to me, (coughs) well, you still have to root root for your team. You still have to back your team. I'm not like that. When I see something that's underachieving, I get annoyed by it. And because I get annoyed, that uh, to me should send a message to the administration that you got to do better. You know, these people that, that say to me, well, uh, like the Braves fans, we're happy that oh, it was a great season for the Braves <clears throat> when they should have been devastated because devastation and disappointment puts pressure on the people who are responsible for building the team to do better. And if you're not going to be frustrated, what do they care? They got their lovely little stadium there at Beaver Stadium, get 110,000 people, make a ton of money, go nine and two and play in the Citrus Bowl. I'm tired of that. So, yeah, I'll still be a Penn State fan. My school is my heart, but I'm checked out for the rest of the year. There is nothing interesting about Penn State football to me now. What give me a reason why I should watch these games now when they are now totally out of the national championship picture?
1: Darren, am I wrong? You're not wrong. I tell people all the time, Franklin drives me nuts. He's a terrible game day coach. He's terrible against top 25 teams, top 10 teams in particular. Uh, you know, he's a good
0: recruiter. And that's he's great not a good world recruiter. World. That's the point. I, this is an overblown talent, thing that he's though. a good repro- uh, recruiter. If he was a good recruiter, he'd have better players than Ohio State. I just think he makes bad decisions on games. Look at that. Well, Look at the personnel. Look at the person now, the Penn State. They, they bring in the number one recruited quarterback in the nation. Who does he have to throw to? Where, where On what level are there wide receivers compared to what Ohio State brings out every year? This
1: year they're not good. They've been very good in, in, in recent Okay, they're so when you recruit year, the number
0: good. one quarterback in the nation, do you not have to recruit the receivers that go with them and convince the great receivers hey, you're with this kid. This kid's going to make you a star. He's a great quarterback. What do they have? They don't have any receivers. I can't I can't argue with I that. I am tired of Penn State people telling me, oh, he's a good recruiter. He just can't. He's not that good of a recruiter because the standards are this. Unless you out recruit Ohio State and Michigan, how good of a recruiter are you? What's the point of that? What you're a better recruiter than in Illinois? You're a better recruiter than than Iowa and Nebraska? And Wisconsin? Oh, big whoop. All right, I'm done. I'm off my soapbox with Penn State football. Let's go to number three, Tay-Tay. Oh, I'm watching the Chiefs game yesterday. She's there in all her glory, and now she's BFFs with Brittany Mahomes. And and listen, Taylor Swift is a big star. It's undeniable. But what is she, 14? 14? She's a thirty three year old woman who's acting like with the high fives and the chest bumps and'm and going have a little decorum, hey come on now, what is that thirty three year old woman acting like some some teenage girl while Brittany's
1: holding a baby doing the stupid dancing i I'm so sick of hearing about this <laughs> I really am i'm I just i every time oh god I just
0: I got nothing else. Yeah. To say. Well, I, listen, I'm not tired of looking at her. I got to be honest with you. I'm a big fan. Uh, I, I'm not, I don't listen to her music, but I'm a big fan of the, of the look of Tay Tay. Happens to be a look I really like. But, uh, you know, the silly schoolgirl stuff with the thing and then, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> come, come on. <laughs> Act with a little decorum. All right. You like the football game? He's your boyfriend. That's good. Enough with the Britney Mahomes the high fiving and chest bumping and, uh, oh, my God. <laughs> all right. Let's go now. To number four on the list. This is a, um, a circumstance that I've been asked about because I was at the Phillies game last week with my daughter and my new son in law, Tom, my daughter Kira, son in law, Tom. Tom's a really nice guy. It didn't dawn on me that he was wearing a backwards hat until I got Twitter feedback. Hey, Mike, now understand on backwards hats. How'd you feel about your son in law wearing a backwards hat? I really didn't notice it. And I went back at the picture, and he does have a backwards hat on. Now, he's a younger guy, right? There, he's 32. My daughter's 32 uh, and I'm trying to figure out, I think, I believe I said the cutoff for backwards hats was 35. So uh, I I probably will have to have a long talk with uh, my new son-in-law when he turns 35 for now, he's got a grace period. Frankly, if it was up to me and I was commissioner of the world, you couldn't get married until you were 30, but also all guys have to stop wearing a backwards hat when they turn 30. Like that's a, that's a college 22 year old bro thing to me right and i know you're you're kind of a backwards hat guy you're way past the age but yeah no, but i've, but I've, but I've seen while, you in the past wear back. the backwards in the hat
1: in the summertime yeah i thought i had on backwards a little bit from coming out from outside yeah
0: why not all, dude a bit you were entirely too old for the backwards hat I am here to establish an age limit on the backwards hat. The backwards hat age limit is thirty-five. You're well past that, and you should be ashamed ah, of yourself wearing a backwards hat like 50. you're some kind of bro. I don't. You're wear a father old, with two so grown daughters for crying out loud! You're still wearing a backwards hat. All right, now we're, while we're on the subject, I'll tell you what—it's better.
1: It's better than grown men my age or even a little bit younger wearing a flat-brim baseball hat forward. That looks ridiculous. When Kyle Shanahan wears that flat brim baseball hat on the sideline, he looks like he runs a skateboard store in Ocean City, New Jersey. All right. Okay. Bend the brim a little bit. It's there to keep the sun oh, out of your I'm eyes. I'm switch
0: up the hat because I got the bent brim. Uh, and uh, I should have uh, put this on when I was talking Philly baseball. Uh, but this has nothing to do with my last uh, item on Mike Unleashed today. It's has nothing to do with the Phillies or the Eagles. It has to do with you. Since we we just talked about you in the backwards hat, which to me is a violation wearing a backwards hat at your age, um, I want to put this out as a potential violation. And uh, I, I hope I can say this delicately.
1: On oh, me? Yeah. Oh, so hey, I, well, I just want to put
0: this out here. I'm not making any kind of a conclusion on it. I'm putting this out for edification for the people that are listening to this so I can get some feedback on this. I would really like feedback on the subject I'm about to talk about. And you can get me, uh, email-wise, mike at mikemiss.com. I definitely want to hear what the people have to say about this. All right, so Darren and I, several weeks ago, did a one-day trip to see a Penn State game. We drove up. uh, It was a night game. They played Iowa. It was a whiteout. So we drive up, and we get there at about 4.30 for a 7.30 game and uh we're hanging out the whole bit and then after the game and actually we we got out it was raining so we got out of there a little early just so we could be so we had to drive home another three and a half hour ride home and i'm doing all the driving so this is like seven hours of driving by me so we get home uh, what one o'clock in the morning was it one o'clock
1: are you serious about this where you're going uh, with this? you don't know where
0: i'm going uh I
1: know where you're so, going. So go it's
0: 1 o'clock, and uh, Darren had come to my house. We left from my house. Darren has his car here. So, uh, so we come, and Darren says, uh, I have to go to the bathroom. So um, I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess three and a half too. hours. I guess you do have to pee. Um, I, I, yeah, sure. So um, he goes into my powder room. Now, the powder room is a very small and closed uh, room. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm putting stuff away. I got, you know, the, uh, hanging up my coat. I'm going upstairs to do something. I come back down, and, uh, and now he's been in there for all of 10 minutes, and going on 15. And it dawns on me what is going on in there. And, and so I go, dude, in my powder room? Now, uh, this is the feedback I need to, to, to get from the people. Uh, is it a violation... To use your buddy's powder room, um, when you're not doing a number one, but doing the other, that's the. What did you want me to use your bro- your master I, bathroom in listen, your bedroom?
1: I, I have another forty five fifty minute I, drive.
0: I'm just asking the question.
1: I'm it sorry. Be, it it
0: may be appropriate if the people say it's appropriate. It's appropriate. I thought it was a little little over the top, to be honest with you.
1: I apologize. You know, if, if
0: I'm doing that, I'm going upstairs into a regular bathroom, getting out of the way, rather than in my, my powder room, which is very enclosed, which, by the way, does not have a fan.
1: It has a window. The window <laughs> was open.
0: I'm just saying this is my. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm throwing it out there for the people. If the people say that's not a violation, Mike, he had to go. I'm perfectly fine with it. I'm just uh, there were two things. Number one, I thought uh, I thought it was going to be a number one. Number two, if it was a number two, then maybe it could have gone in a more secluded bathroom. That's the only thing I'm saying. So that's that's the topic du jour for the people to email me feedback.
1: Okay, so so people understand you have your powder room downstairs is like you have a side door. There's like a mud room. There's like a, you know, thing, and then the bathroom's behind there. And you're going up to bed anyway. You would rather me have said, mind if I use a bathroom upstairs? No, no, no. because that's the only bathroom to my knowledge on your lower floor. I have
0: four bathrooms. There's one downstairs. There are two upstairs, and then there's a powder room here. Right. Uh, I'm merely saying this, that uh, suppose that, you know, I was down here getting a bottle of water before I went up to bed. I'm still down on the first floor because I'm going to say goodbye to you. Suppose at that point I had to go in to tinkle. I had to go in for a number one. And, you know, it's like that Seinfeld uh, uh, scene where Elaine on in the, in the airplane bathroom uh, goes into the bathroom and goes, oh, my God. And get stuck. It's, it wasn't I, like well, that. Listen, first of all, wherever it was or wasn't, it wasn't like that. I'm just, like ask, that. I'm just asking like, you know, the know, oh my question: God. what what the appropriateness of your act yeah. was. And if the people come and say that was perfectly appropriate, what? then I go, okay, fine. Well,
1: what's today's day? October 23rd. When did we go up there? October what, mm-hmm. 11th. Something like that. No, September. We were there in September. And you're bringing this up a month later. I'm curious, as to what took? You
0: uh, I don't. I don't know. I, it just. It just dawned on me uh, as as we were talking about the hat. So uh, as we were talking about your backwards hat. hat being a violation, I thought of another. Right all of a sudden, to another I, violation more, came about. I, I can tell you this, that, and maybe it's just because I'm this different, and I'm, you know, I'm more protective of of, uh, of privacy like that. Uh, I would never have done that in a powder room. <laughs> I would never have done that in the first four powder room. But you're different. You you're you're a little house. you're a little brusque. You're you you are a little because today you again uh said the S word uh for... hold on now you cursed
1: ten times I knew you, you know, were gonna do something you have cursed ten times I, I more am than now charting
0: it's at 35 consecutive part. shows where you said a curse word. You're going for Joe DiMaggio's record of 50. 50- Fifty six consecutive you're episodes. You are going. You are
1: wrong. You are dead wrong. This is why you just love to break my balls. <laughs> you really do. You are dead the, wrong ma- with that. The you Maggio's
0: know. record. And you just the record was fifty six. Keep it going. You're th- you're at you are you are at thirty five. You have the National League record right now.
1: <laughs> you see what I am holding up to? That's how many World Series tickets you are guaranteeing me. Uh. I don't All right. care
0: What game? Okay, well, that'll All do right. it Let's for today's podcast. Time. We covered the uh, Eagles' victory. We covered the Phillies. Two teams that are riding real high here in Philly. Two teams that could possibly uh, win a championship here. One of them is definitely going to the World Series. I don't know who they're playing. They're playing. They're playing a team from Texas. That's the only thing I can predict. Whether it's the Rangers or the Astros, we'll see. It'll be an interesting series with both of those teams. But they are not going to lose tonight. If they lose tonight, I look silly, I know. But see, I'm the type of guy who's not afraid to put stuff out there. I'm not one of these guys who go, oh, I'm going to look ridiculous if the Arizona Diamondbacks win. I don't care. I examine the moment, okay? And the moment is the Phillies are freaking better than that fraud team, and I want them to get out of the damn playoffs. I'm sick and tired of the Diamondbacks and the people telling me how cute of a team they are. Tonight it ends. All right. This has been the Mike Missinelli podcast. You can catch me uh, again. My email address is Mike at Mike I want to hear feedback on that potential violation. You can follow me on Twitter. Mike miss two uh, five. You can get a, a shout out on cameo. If you go to cameo.com, put my name in there. I got a winery going down K May courthouse and the vintages are coming in really nice. And it's a great way to spend a, 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 an autumn afternoon where there's a little chill in the air and you do a little wine sampling. It is perfect. Uh, other than that, anything else? We good? We're good. Let's get All out. Right. For Darren, I'm Mike. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli podcast. Have a great rest of the day. Let's go Phil's tomorrow. Uh, oh, by the way, we, we're going to do a a, a fresh uh, – uh, we're going to do a reaction podcast. Yeah. So you're listening to this one, but stay tuned for the aftermath of tonight. It's a 5 o'clock game, so uh, by probably about 9 o'clock, we'll have a fresh reaction podcast on the Phillies winning Game 6 and getting to the World Series. All right? Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you later tonight. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Mike Bissanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.